Greetings from Polymancer. Welcome to Episode 9 of the DiceCast. Episode 9, Interview with Stu Levy of Tokyo Pop. Yeah! Those of you that want to know what we're all about, it's like this, y'all. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, 100% Welcome to episode 9 of the Icecast. In this episode, we have a very special treat for everyone an interview with a big mover and shaker in the anime and manga industry, Mr. Stuart Levy, the founder and CEO of Tokyo Pop. That's right. Uh, we've got some very interesting comments from Stuart Levy. We met him at Otakufan 2010 here in Montreal. And we've got some very interesting things, including some inside scoop on America's Greatest Otaku, which is a uh, show that he's going to be putting up on the air. And he gave us some of the five out of six. Or was it seven? I'm not quite sure. There were six. There were six. There gave us five out of criteria. They're actually grading people on this show. And actually, it's an exclusive for Dice Gas. And he also does talk an awful lot about how the company was formed and all the difficulties and challenges that he reached back when he was starting Tokyo Pop and also some of the challenges that he's uh, facing today. He was very candid about that. And later in the interview, he's almost giving us a uh, crash course in Japanese, including how to score with Girls of the Dacathon. So without further ado, let's hear this interview with Stuart Levy right after this. Looking for more great gaming podcasts? Check out RPGpodcast.com. Here we are at the OtakuCon 2010 in Montreal. I'm sitting here with uh, Stu Levy. He's the uh, guest of honor at OtakuCon for uh, Industry Guest of Honor for Anime. Stu, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, uh, is this your first time in Montreal? This is my second time in Montreal in a matter of three weeks, actually. Oh, wow. Yes, because I'm making a habit of it. Um, three weeks ago, I was here for Fantasia, okay. and my film screened at Fantasia, it was selected, and that was my first time in, in Montreal since I was like 10, Okay. and the city is amazing. Totally loved it. Totally loved it? You yeah. think Montreal is like a hub, an anime hub? Um, you know, at the time it was Fantasia the Film Festival, so I wasn't you know, able to see as much about the anime, and now I'm here for Otakuthon, so... I'm finally getting to see the Otaku gathering, and there's no question that it's very bustling with activity, and it seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm, so it feels to me like um, there's a lot of local anime fans around. So this is your first time then at, at Otakuthon? It is, yes. What do you think of it on the whole? Oh, I think it's great con. You know, I think the location is spectacular. This Palais is beautiful. Uh, the weather is great. You know, I was just in um, Otakon a couple weeks ago, and um, it was ridiculously hot, and 
you know, the weather in America right now is really crappy. Where, where is uh, Baltimore, Maryland? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this big heat wave going on, and you guys have beautiful weather. Um, I love the location being right near Chinatown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, I was able to, you know, eat ramen last night for dinner and eat um, basically at a Chinese bakery this morning for breakfast, and all of yeah. the fans are hanging out, and it's cool. You the place. You probably do. Yeah. Okay, well, now, for uh, some of our listeners who might have been hiding under a rock for the last 10, 15 years, give us a little background about uh, Tokyo Pop. Um, sure, yeah, so Tokyo Pop is... Um, dedicated to what we call the manga revolution. And that's what we've been doing for the past, um, yeah, 15 years or so. And basically, we were the company who made manga mainstream. So um, we brought manga to America um, first, English language, Canada very quickly after that, um, and then England and Australia, and um, ultimately Germany as well. But manga was already in Germany. We, we just happened to start a, an office over there. But manga had been in America a little bit, but it was very, very underground at the time, and there was no mainstream distribution. So our claim to fame is that we basically built the market, um, and we were the first company to really start using the word manga. Up until then, everybody was calling it comics. So that's something that I'm particularly proud of. So that's our background, but we've also done many things over the years. We've done anime, we've done um, music, we, had, we did the Final Fantasy soundtracks for a while. Um, we've put anime on television as well as DVDs. Um, we've done, now we've, we're doing live action feature films. Um, so lots of fun stuff. Now, obviously you studied in, in business and uh, also law. I mean, how did you get into the whole manga and, and, and you know, that culture? Sure. So I, I have a very um, schizophrenic background, which people want to force you in a box. You know, like, I'm the industry guest of honor, and that means that I do business, but I'm also a creative person. You know, I, I write stories, and I make films, and make music, and do all kinds of stuff that most people don't want me to do, because they say, you know, hey, you're out there, so they think I'm making a lot of money. Whether I am or not, it's not the point. <laughs> it's really hard to make money nowadays, so I happen to be very poor, but, um, you know, the, the, um, the people don't want you to do both things. But basically, a producer is somebody who has to understand both creative and business. And so my background is in both. I, while I was going to law school and studying business, I was also doing graphic design on the Mac back in the day and um, you know, telling stories since I was a little kid. So um, those types of things really go together in this business. Um, so yeah. Is, is that why people refer to you as the chief creative officer? Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely, because our branding, our, our visual presentation, our aestheticism, all of that stuff is stuff that, um, that I kind of have a stamp on. I, you know, admire people like Steve Jobs who really cares about, you know, their view on aestheticism and, you know, the product itself and have made plenty of mistakes over the years and don't have a problem with taking the blame for that. But, you know, I try my hardest to improve and we, you know, we try to, make manga and anime become something that the world takes seriously. I mean, I, and that's a good question, though. How, when you started, obviously, I mean, it's a great entrepreneurship story, you know, creating Tokyo Pop and so on. Uh, you, you raised some money, uh, you've done some deals. Was it hard for you? Did people have a hard time understanding exactly what you were trying to do when you started building Tokyo Pop? So, like, these guys, you know, 
there's this thing called manga over there. I'm going to bring them. They're not called manga here. To, you know, you guys call them comics, but they're not comics. We call them man. Like, was it hard to convince people to get on the board? And did people look at you and go, "What is he talking about? What planet is he from?" <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they still do, um, mainly because I am from another planet. But um, they no. I mean, it's always really been a challenge. It's one challenge after another. In the beginning, it was, what is entertainment from Japan? Why would anybody care about that? We have Hollywood. We don't need your inter- we don't need Japanese entertainment here in America. So that was the first thing I got. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the distributors and the bookstores were saying no to our product. Um, and then we put together a, a, a package that showed why Sailor Moon has a fan base, and a couple of stores took a chance. In fact, there was one chain, Walden, which you know is part of Borders, um, the BGI group, the Walden chain was the first one to take a chance, and they took a chance on Sailor Moon, and it did well for them. So they were willing to experiment with other other manga, but it was really little by little and trying to prove it. Um, comic book shops, independent comic book shops, were other places that took a chance. Um, but most of the big chains came pretty late to the party. Um, so convincing people that Japanese entertainment was beneficial or good and there's a, there's a fan base and there's a potential fan base was really hard. Um, and then Pokemon came along. Oh, yes. And once Pokemon came along, people started to suddenly think Japanese entertainment was going to be the big thing, and that's the boom. And that was when life was easy for a little bit, uh, for a couple of years there. <laughs> that was when the golden years? The golden years, yes. Um, and then, you know, that boom died a little bit, and the Internet came along, and, you know, we've had the economy challenges. So a lot of things have been tough for the past few years, but we're all evolving, and, you know... Personally, I'm very passionate about um, what I call global entertainment, and Japan is the love of my life. So, you know. I mean, you speak Japanese, obviously. Yeah. Did you learn that because uh, of the interest you had in, in Japan, and or did you learn it as you were doing this? Or actually, for me, it was a little unique. You know, I know a lot of um, a lot of fans nowadays because they love anime and manga. They learn some Japanese. They want to go to Japan. But back um, because I'm an old guy, um, back in the day. That really wasn't the reason why people were learning Japanese was for business, but I didn't learn it for any of those reasons. I learned it because I loved sushi. <laughs> I honest, it honestly is the, the truth. I loved, I loved sushi so much, and I was going to go study somewhere overseas. And I'm Italian, and so I was thinking about studying in Italy, but I also grew up kind of in a Korean household. Like my best friend's family was Korean across the street, so I grew up sort of speaking Korean and eating like bulgogi and you know kimchi and. Gakpigi and all this kind of Korean food, and um, there was a program in Japan, and I thought, wow, I could eat sushi, I'll be right next to Korea, I could go visit Korea, and the grades don't transfer to my school, I only transfer the credits so I could screw around and have fun, <laughs> <laughs> and not worry about going to class that much, and so I went with that program, and I studied at Tokyo University, and absolutely fell in love with the culture, and I did go to Korea while I was there many times, so okay. Asia is like... I mean, I love all kinds of cultures. I've been to Africa, I've been to the Middle East, been to Europe many times. I love all kinds of cultures. I want to go to South America. I've only been to Latin America, Central America. So, but Japan is, you know, my my favorite. Do you think like the culture that we get here as Westerners when we get this content coming, uh, obviously imported with companies like yours? Do you think it really it represents the culture from Japan, or is there like a distortion based on where we're bringing in? A lot of people they think you know when you tell them anime they they still cringe and think Legends of the Orphine, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which um, yeah, well, <laughs> there's different kinds of I think um, stereotypes about Japan. 
um, there's certainly that kind, like the hentai type stuff, and you know, loli, lorita, and these kinds of things, moe. But then on the flip side, there's also kawaii, and you know, in fact, there's a, a script that I wrote for a film that I hope I can do one day called Kimono Clash, and the the lead um, character, not to do any promotion or anything, there's no product yet, but um, the lead character is a girl named Brianna who grows up in America as a fan of anime and manga and loves Japan, but in her her impression is that Japan is this like Hello Kitty, Sanrio, Kawaii world, and that everything is perfect. And I think a lot of fans do have that feeling, but when you get there, you see, I mean, Japan's got plenty of problems and plenty of challenges and plenty of things that make it, um, you know, not a great place, just like it has so many things that make it a wonderful place. And it's, you know, there is no perfect place anywhere on the planet. And when you go to Japan and you live there, you, you learn about that and, and you just deal with it like you do any place, you know? All right. Well, um, what's new with Tokyo Pop these days? Ah, yes, there's a lot of new things. Um, we, you know, our, our real dream is to try to build... Besides bringing great stuff from Japan, which we do now and we we uh, continue to do, um, Italia being a great example. There's a lot of Italia fans out there nowadays, and cosplaying around the country, um, and we've seen that as we've toured the country this summer. We've seen a lot of cosplayers, um, both here in America and in Canada. I noticed Italia here at El Takutan is cosplayers of Italia. So if you're not familiar with Italia, it's a big um, popular anime that takes and manga that takes World War II. And the characters are the countries, so you have the Axis powers. So you have Japan and Germany and Italy, and they're kind of the lead characters, and they're all good-looking boys, good-looking guys, and they, they sort of, every country is made fun of in the whole story. It's very, very politically incorrect. There is no country that is, you know, perfect, that basically every, every country is made fun of. And um, the girls just absolutely love this series. They are dressing up in these uniforms that represent the different countries. They're saying the phrases. Um, they're saying which is their favorite cute guy, who's whichever country. And they've got cosplay groups around the nation. So that's a big, big title for us that we're putting out. Um, but some of the, the big uh, moves in the next year, you'll see us do a lot of stuff online. You know, we've experimented over the years with online. It's become really, really big for everyone. And we've been really trying to figure out what's the best way to be online and move our business from, you know, 100%, more or less 100% books to a combination of books and online. So that's yeah. a big thing you'll see. I mean, a lot of iPhone-related stuff, a lot of Android stuff, you know, web, pretty much everything, PSP, Kindle, you name it. Um, and then you'll also see, I mean, film is, and television is another big push for us, so hopefully it's hard, but hopefully we'll get some of our titles turned into films. The first one, the first major one is coming out in May called Priest. This is a, a big film from Sony, um, a $70 million budget, starring Paul Bettany, Carl Urban's in it, Maggie Q, um, great cast, and really, really cool effects. Um, the director is a guy that's been doing visual effects for many years, and he just directed Legion. Whether you like Legion or not, he's amazing. Um, amazing guy. And Just so, to clarify, this is going to be a live action version? Correct. It's all live action, yeah. 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 And I think it's coming out in, in winter, eh? 2011? It's actually coming out in May. In May? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you'll see ads, I believe it's May 11th, 
Um, it could be off by a day or two. Okay. But you'll start to see the big push in April. Now, I don't know if Canada releases different, but I think it's probably the same, right? Probably the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit, That's kind of the first time that Tokyo Pop's name will be on the big screen in a major way. We, of course, produced um, Van Von Hunter, which I also directed, okay. um, with Yuri Lowenthal, who is a voice actor, well-known voice actor for Sasuke from Naruto and many things, Ben 10. Um, and he's the actual star. This is live action. This is an independent, small little um, film that, that we did, which we screened at Fantasia. That's why I was here a few weeks ago. Um, so you'll see many of those kinds of things. Now, you, you, you mentioned that how you've been seeing a lot of people doing cosplay and so on. Yeah. Uh, since around May, uh, just this year, I mean, you've announced that you were going on a, an, on, on a tour, uh, Wear a Lifestyle and Media Brand. Yes. Uh, the uh, road trip uh, with the Otaku 6. Looking for America's greatest otaku. Now, the question we all want to know is, have you found them? Uh, yes. Or her? Absolutely. We have found some amazing candidates. So let me briefly explain that um, I'm six weeks into the trip. So I have not been home for six weeks. And oh. I've been in, yeah, and I'm totally exhausted, um, wearing clothes that, trying to figure out how to do laundry on the road. We're in this big bus. We're going to, all, when, when the trip is done in another week, we will have been to 28 cities in seven weeks wow it's it's a lot it's like just when you get into a town you're there for a day you're there for a night and then boom you're on to the next city we're driving in this huge bus that rock bands go in and it's skinned with tokyo pop characters i mean we had people in wyoming coming up taking people are videoing and taking photos and all kinds of stuff but what we're doing is we're searching not only for america's greatest otaku but also for otaku culture in these cities so we're interviewing different places we're visiting for instance, we visited a, um, a bonsai garden in Washington, D.C. We visit um, a really, really cool kawaii store in Nashville called Happy Japan. We visit an awesome sushi restaurant that featured, like, Pokemon-style rolls. And so just all kinds of really cool things in, di in different sushis cities. with Pokemon-style, like, you know, the, the, you bring your kids there and say, do you want to eat Pikachu now? Exactly. <laughs> it's actually got raw Pikachu meat. Um, oh, my. But, you know, this, this all kinds of really fun um, places that relate to otaku culture, and some cities have more than others. So, you know, we've had a little bit of a tough time in places like Oklahoma City finding the otaku culture. But in every city, we're able to find something. And in the process, we get candidates that we've interviewed for the, the America's Greatest Otaku, and some of these people are amazing. Um, and so we've outlined kind of you know, six, what we call six core qualities of a great otaku. So it's one thing to be an otaku, but to be the greatest otaku, you have to have all of these six qualities. You have to really show, um, um, you know, commitment beyond, you know, just a, being a, a fan and to the point where it elevates you to actually being the creator. You know? okay. um, so you'll see uh, when you guys watch the show who these, guys, who, these, who these candidates are, and then we will bring the winner to Japan and film the final episode, um, part of that in Japan. And what are the uh, core uh, qualities? Six core qualities, so that we can go out there and try to train. It's well, you would be the first one that we've actually told. Part of the plan is to have this people learn it as they're watching the show. Um, so I'm a little torn about whether I should tell you them or not, but maybe I can say it. It's all right. Um, it's passion, pride, participation. I hope I remember all of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> expertise, imagination, and I'm forgetting one. What is it? Passion, pride, um, participation, participation, 
Expertise, imagine. There's one more P. What is it? How am I forgetting? Peace. Peace. World peace. No, world peace. No, there's one more. Um, and then there's like a Japanese phrase, a kotowaza that goes with each one of these that we came up with, or that exists, but we, we chose it. And then there's a challenge in the show. So the otaku six, these six students, actually have a challenge for, for each thing, each core quality that they're learning about. Okay. Um, and that's the that's basically the structure of the show. And when is the show going to be... It's going to start the, the, um, the plan is middle of November, but we have a lot of editing to do. We have way more material than we even thought we would. So whether we make it by end of November or whether we push it back a little bit, we're, we're not sure. Because once we go on air, um, then every week's a new episode, up to eight episodes. So we have to stick to that schedule. And it will be on Hulu. That's the primary place. But once we finish it, we'll probably sell it to some television cable stations in other countries. Like in Canada, I know you guys can't watch Hulu right now. Um, so it's firewalls. I know. It's when I go to Japan, it's the same thing. We can't, um, we can't find, we can't watch it. So it's pretty frustrating. But we'll find a place to, to air it here too. Yeah. And now, like uh, as everybody knows, there's been a worldwide recession that's hit in the last year or so. How yep. has it affected the business? Oh, the, the business has been really, really tough. You know, it's not a, it's not a secret. You know, I think. I think everybody knows that anybody who's publishing books or coming, you know, doing DVDs, whether it's not just in anime and manga, but in, in entertainment in general right now, even music, I mean, everything is in a really, really tough spot. The only companies I think making a lot of money are like Facebook, and you know, so so for for Tokyo Pop, um, it's been hard for a few reasons. One, um, scanlations online. You know, a lot of people are reading their manga online, so we have piracy, um, and you know, it's great for the the consumer, and certainly going to a scanlation site and reading, it's very um, understandable. You know, I don't personally get mad if somebody's doing that. I understand it completely. Um, but we have to figure out a way to offer a legal alternative. Um, so there's piracy, and then there's the economy in general, which means that bookstores are going out of business, and place people aren't spending the money that they used to spend before. Everybody's a lot more careful with their cash. So the combination of these things is hurting all of our types of businesses, and Tokyo Pop is no exception. Um, you mentioned, too, that you, you had a lot of online content and things you're going to be selling online. Is that an alternative? You're, you're, you're sort of like moving for Tokyo Pop and getting more e-publishing and more online uh, content, we, like uh, streaming videos? We have to. You know, the e-books the, the e e is the, you know, it's so clear that that's where everything is, and We've always been, to a certain degree, an online company, uh, especially in the old days. But timing is hard, you know, and trying to do it in a way where you're able to actually turn it into a revenue stream has always been challenging. So content online makes all the sense in the world, but what exactly is the business model? Is it advertising-based? Is it subscription? Is it paper download? You know, those are the kinds of things that I think even now people haven't necessarily figured out. What would you say then is like your outlook on the future of Tokyo Pop and with anime in general? Um, well, for Tokyo Pop, our goal we have a we have an internal goal that's a strategic goal, and that is to build franchises. And whether that's something that is purely already done in Japan and we get the license and we are the ones who manage it overseas, or whether we create it ourselves or whether we team up with a group of creators and we do a co-production we we talk about kind of 
we need our own Spider-Man. You know, Tokyo Pop has to have its equivalent of a Spider-Man that breaks so big that everybody loves it and knows it, that Tokyo Pop is the one who, who really originated it. And if we don't do that, then we're always at the mercy of who gives us the rights to this. You know, will someone pull the rights? Like happened, that happened to us with Kodansha and a number of our series that we were publishing. They decided they wanted to move into America directly and they pulled all the rights. And I mean, it, you know, had to wait till the end of the contract, but they basically you know, said, "Thank you for building the market." Building the market, and now we're going in. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's business. That's yeah. that's fine. I understand that. It's not a personal thing. But um, you know, the only way to protect against that is to basically have a character that we originated. And so that's why, like Marvel and DC, those companies are, even though they've gone through bankruptcies and tough times, but they do have a library of characters that they own, and that's yeah. their advantage, basically. So, are you trying to like uh, pull away from the licensed import in, import model? To for the past five years, if you look at what we've done, we've been doing both. So, the good thing about licensing is one, we know it really well. It's a business we we built our company off of, so we know how to do it. We know how to once we get the rights to something like Italia, we know how to promote it. We know how to translate it. We know how to how to uh, get it to the market. So to the degree that there is a business to do that, of course we want to keep doing it. We love Japanese content, even if we weren't the guys involved from the beginning. So it's a, it's a wonderful business to continue to do um, to the degree that somebody in Japan lets us do it. Um, you know, everybody in Japan sets up their own operation and there's nothing left to license, but um, not everybody can. And even the guys who do will find that it's pretty hard and they may at some point decide not to go that way and go back to licensing. So we will continue to do licensing, but at the same time, we were really the first company, I believe, that invested um, significantly into what's called OEL manga. Um, we don't use that term very often internally, but you know, original English language manga. And we did Rising Stars of Manga year after year. We were encouraging young artists, and we've published um, a lot of their works. And those types of um, those types of deals are much more. Um, like co-production oriented. So we're taking something from the very beginning and getting involved and brainstorming on ideas. And some of them were, you know, for instance, some of my stories. You know, Princess Eye is one example. Jura 13, there's stuff that I wrote. Other people in our company also have had ideas of their own. So sometimes we create, sometimes we co-create, sometimes we co-produce, sometimes we license. So there's different variations. So basically you just cover all the... Do you have a particular anime that you like, or a particular type of anime that you you particularly say, yeah, this is, this is this one I really like. This is my favorite. You're talking about as Tokyo Pop the company, or me personally? As you personally. Yeah, personally. I mean, I definitely have my favorites from over the years. There's no way that I wouldn't. And and people lately, um, you know, when I've been on this tour, we sometimes I talk um, in front of fans, and and they ask me, hey, uh, what was it like in the beginning? And one of the things I, I tell them is, for a while, in the very beginning, I was based in Japan. And I was in a tiny little place, a small little room, and when we first started, we just had a couple people. And some, a lot of the days, what I would do is I would get a stack of manga, and I would sit down on the floor. Well, it was a tatami room, right? So I would sit down, lie down on the tatami, and I would start reading manga in the morning, and I would just read it all day long. And I was evaluating what the license, at least that's what my excuse was. <laughs> um, and so I got to read manga all day and watch anime. And so, you know, I'm, once again, a little bit, you know, I'm a different generation. I'm older. So the manga and anime that I love 
um, is not going to be what the fans are into right now because I unfortunately can't do that anymore. But, you know, my favorite stuff was, you know, and there's a lot of things that people probably have never heard of. So the very first anime that I got into was when I was studying in Japan and I lived in a Japanese house. And every night the family would turn on the TV and they were watching the show that I also got hooked to, and that's Dragon Ball Z. So Dragon Ball Z was probably the first anime in Japan that I personally really loved. Um, and I tried to get the rights. This was way before it was ever in America. And I, when I first came back to America, I tried to pursue those rights and I ended up not being able to get them. But um, Dragon Ball was a favorite of mine. Manga-wise, Seiju, which is Parasite, was probably the reason I got into this business. I love Slam Dunk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with any of these titles, but Slam Dunk was one of my favorites. Um, there's some anime that you've definitely never heard of, one called Bono Bono, which is really cute series that was based on Yonkoma mangas, of the animals that are kind of, like um, sarcastic animals that live in the woods, and that was one of my favorite series. There's an old, you know, arty um, anime called um, Tenshi no Tamago, Angel's Egg, which was done by Oshi and um, Amano Yoshitaka. That's just brilliant. You guys should definitely check that out. Um, I like a lot of the movies, so all the Miyazaki stuff I love, although my favorite Miyazaki is probably Totoro and um, Spirited Away were probably my favorite too, although... Um, you know, well, um, there's this, I'm trying to think of what the English names of these ones are. Uh, uh, um, Takubi no Majo is, is a, um, what is that one in English? The the witch, the girl who flies around on the broom. Oh, um. What is the English name for this one? Um, something made service, no. Yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service, Delivery, that's yeah, what that's they it. call it in English, oh, yeah. Okay. That one's a, a, a fun one. Um, but my favorite Miyazaki is probably the old TV series that he did for um, Mirai, Mirai Shonen Konan. And it's just the adventures of a little boy that's like Huckleberry Finn. And he did a whole TV series, which is just brilliant. It was really early in his career. Um, and then the other movie-wise, like Tokikakeru Shoujo, which I think in English is The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Okay. That's a really awesome um, anime that I love, that I cry, cry in all the time. Um, um, fire, um, um, the Grave of the Fireflies. Okay. You guys know this one? Uh, not familiar with that one. <laughs> no. Okay. It's really, really moving, sad, um, okay. anime that you will cry if you want. I, I don't know. I like watching anime that you cry. Akira, I love, of course. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell. I mean, kind of typical when it comes to, like, guy stuff. Yeah. You know, action anime. Um, yeah, I mean, I could keep going, but... <laughs> so in other words, it's hard for you to pick just one title you would say is the, you know, your all-time favorite. Do you sort of like them all, or do you really have... I, do, I definitely don't like them all. I have ones that I like more than others. But if it, if I narrow down to absolutely one, no, I don't think I could choose one. Don't make me choose one. <laughs> don't make me do it! <laughs> Please, no. See, you said it was not a torture chamber, and it is. Yeah, we lied. <laughs> one, choose one. One, choose one. I will watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, do you have any final remarks or any... Oh, well, you, you know, the other thing I didn't say is what you think of, about the future of anime, right? I think right now... My opinion is anime is going through a really tough time in Japan as well. It's not just here. In, in, I mean, in America, I've seen it really shift from 
when you come to a convention, it's not about watching anime anymore. I mean, people watch anime here, but it's really about cosplaying and your friends and um, community, which is the participation part of being an otaku. And I think that's really exciting that the community has really become very creative and the cosplay itself is really cool. But in terms of actually watching anime, I don't know how it's going to be funded. You know, the DVDs are not selling anymore. They're not selling in Japan either. Um, yeah, it's, it's the DVDs in Japan. Everybody's talking about how it's a bust market right now. Um, the television spots for anime have significantly decreased. Um, oh, by the way, that reminds me of one of my favorite animes, Sazai-san. That's like The Simpsons in Japan. It's, uh, it's really cool. Never come out to America. Um, but there's a lot less slots on television in Japan, and there's um, DVD doesn't sell as much, so they're making less shows. And as a result, hopefully the quality will be higher, because I think for a few years... Um, even the Japanese admit that the quality started to go down a lot because they were cranking out so many shows. And they weren't, you know, you could tell they weren't using, they weren't animating everything. There was a lot of reused animation backgrounds. There was a lot of sort of cutting corners to crank the shows out. I think that um, that problem is going away, but the reverse problem now is how the anime budgets will be recouped. And so there's some business challenges on the anime side. But I, so I personally believe that there will be two things. One will be really cool, big-budget anime that people can put you know, a lot of effort behind. And then and there are a few of those. And then there will be a lot of tiny independent things, um, like guys like the you know, Shinkai Makoto, people like that, who are individual guys that can make an anime. And uh, more of that will come out. And so that will be where the market goes, shifts into those two categories. Um, well, I guess that, that pretty much summarizes everything. Um, so this is obviously your, your first attack of fun, and you've been on a few panels. I think some of the things you mentioned about the future of anime you did on your panel, I think, earlier today. Um, and so far, I mean, how are you enjoying uh, Montreal? Did you real, did you really think that you'd have such a big otaku presence here in, in Montreal? Or Montreal, the, are you the, surprised with the... I think the otaku presence in Montreal is a lot bigger than I've seen in some of the cities that we toured in in, um, in America, even though the population size is smaller. So, like Atlanta is a great example. You know, I feel like there's more otaku culture here than in a city in a city like Atlanta, which has such a huge population. Um, I mean, they have otaku culture, don't get me wrong. Every city does. That's one thing I found. But here, it really feels like there's a lot of passion, and compared to the population, it's pretty high. Um, I think that could be also the French influence, you know, because there's a lot of, in France, they've had anime on television for many years, a lot longer than in America. And so I'm assuming, I think one or two people had also told me that you guys sometimes watch uh, on the French channel, they, they play uh, anime too, right? Yeah, well, they, they used to play anime, uh, there were a lot of anime series that were put here in French uh, channels, some of uh, um and uh, some anime actually full feature length movies that actually were made uh, were actually put out uh, on you know shown on TV here. So right, right. a lot of people have watched anime, um, but it, it's probably the older, uh, you know, more the seventies anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, not Dragon, you know, Dragon Ball and so on. That sort of came before that, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this generation isn't exposed to it as much, but they of course have the internet. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Montreal, it's, I love any city that has a culture. And there's a culture here. You know, when I, 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 I'm a runner and I went running around the city the last time I was here. And I saw the different neighborhoods. There's a Portuguese neighborhood. There's, you know, of course, huge French. I mean, the whole city's French. But you have like Italian area. You know, have Chinatown. There's different cultures here. And the fact that it's French and English everywhere, I mean, that immediately right there makes it an international culture. And, um, and the food's awesome, which is always very important. Is there any chance that America's greatest otaku will be coming from Montreal? Well, the rules are the rules, right? So we can't, we can't have, I mean, I would love to do Canada's greatest otaku <laughs> as a show next. And go, you know, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, and, and Ottawa and see what we get, right? Okay. What do you guys think? Ah, that would be awesome. That would definitely work. Yeah? You think Montreal would win? Well, obviously, Montreal always wins. You know, it's like we're the Absolutely. best city <laughs> in the world, you know? <laughs> I actually have my Facebook status right now. It says, um, you know, I'm back. I'm happy to be back in Montreal, my new favorite North American city. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I actually like Montreal now before any, um, more than any American city. Well, I mean, uh, July and August are, are really the the time where Montreal just goes crazy. I mean, there's Fantasia, mm -hmm. there's Otaku, uh, Otakuthon. I mean, there's Comic Con coming up. I mean, there, there's oh really? There's a Comic Con here too. That yes, as yes. well. Oh wow! Uh, Friends Spider and and uh, Chewbacca is going to be there. <laughs> nice. I'm sure the guy has a real name, but yeah, uh, <laughs> just know him as Chewbacca. That's so He'll funny. never live that down. But, Was uh, Chewbacca? Yeah, I guess I guess it's different than Darth Vader. He wasn't voiced differently because he doesn't say anything. So it was the guy just walking around with the costume the whole time. The poor guy. That must be a hot costume to wear too. I I don't know, but I, I'm I'm assuming that uh, <laughs> probably I don't think he's going to be here wearing it, even though it's going to be September. Yeah. Oh really? Um, been good. Where are you going to be headed next? I actually, tomorrow night, I fly to Halifax. Halifax? Yeah. And I'm kind of excited about it um, because nobody I know has been to Nova Scotia. And so I'm really curious. Have you guys been to Nova Scotia? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So once you're, up, if, no? No. <laughs> once you're up here, I guess it might be, it's a lot easier. But Americans, I was explaining to these Japanese guys just about a half an hour ago what Nova Scotia was. They'd never heard of it. And so I was saying it's so far east that there's no America below it. <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it, but that's true. <laughs> it's more east than any American city. And so, um, anyway, so I'm going there because of two reasons. I figured, well, the first reason is I'm, I'm all the way up here, so it's only a couple hours. But the main reason is we have a, um, we're doing two shows with an animation studio in Halifax. There's a, a studio called Copernicus. Okay. And we have two animated shows with them in development. And so I want to check out their facilities. And I know the film commissioner there. So I'm going to um, see what they have. You know, they're really trying to get more more films up there. And so I'm going to check it out, just like I've been checking out Montreal. Um, and so I'll go there and eat some fresh salmon. <laughs> But there's no rivalry between the... I mean, the rivalry is what? Toronto and Montreal? Yeah, Toronto or, and Montreal, really. That would be it, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I get. Yeah. I've not actually been, other than the airport changing planes, I haven't been to Toronto yet. Okay. You know, seems like a big city, but it doesn't seem like it has the culture that Montreal has. Well, Montreal definitely has a, a very 
strong interest in, in I mean, uh, there's a lot of interesting things that have been going on. Uh, if you told people that we'd have festivals like, like this one and uh, Fantasia and so on, then people would say, well, no, that's, that's, you know, there's nobody who watches this stuff. You know, it doesn't seem like Montreal would be big enough. But mm. I guess, like you said, probably because here uh, on the screen uh, when everybody was kids, you know, I was, when I was young, now I'm older. Uh, we had a lot of anime, and not just the Flintstones, but we had like actual anime. It was, the, you know, uh, and uh, it, it's kind of weird because a lot of people don't really seem to associate it much with anime, but really it was. Mm. Uh, the, some of the top ones like uh, Albatan, uh, Goldorak, Les Cités d'Or, uh, Mysterious Cities of Gold. You know, the, the, a lot of things like, you know, people might. Some people might consider an anime, like Albatore, and they may consider it anime, and then some other people might say, well, you know, it's not really, but it, I guess anime sort of evolved, I guess. And, sure, well, of course. But yeah. I, there's more and more new people coming in into the uh, into this. It's less on television now, Yeah. but I, I, I think it's really more on the specialty channels and the cable where you see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm hoping that I can come back again. Probably avoid it during the winter. Well, no, our winter festivals during the winter, but the winters are getting you know nicer here. You know, there's, there's, there's global warming. Global warming is helping <laughs> us out now. People are coming to us, you know, to you know during winter to, you know, for the sun and the shade on the beach. You know. Oh wow. Yeah. No, it's not, not that extreme, oh, but okay. it's getting close to <laughs> yeah, it. I was about to move here once you said that. <laughs> yeah, cold weather is is. I'm I'm from Los Angeles, so for me anything cold yeah. it kind of freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, thanks for being here. Okay. Uh, arigatou gozaimasu. Okay. Japanese. Arigatou gozaimasu. Oh. You guys got to learn a couple Japanese phrases. So we could tell the audience. My favorite phrase is yoroshiku. When you first meet somebody, ah, yoroshiku, onegaishimasu, just yoroshiku. Okay. So you want to try it? Yoroshiku. 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 All right. And then another phrase, let's see. So after you're done with something, like we finish and we turn off the mic here, we say, oh, you did a good job. Good, you know, we say, otsukaresama desu. And you can just say, otsukaresama, like that. Otsukaresama. 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 Good, good. You guys are getting it. And then we can, um, everybody knows, like, kawaii and, you know, matane, like, jane, like okay. that kind of thing, right? So we can say that to the audience, like, bye-bye. But it's a little bit more girl, right, to say jane. Guys, we say, like, jana, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Jana matana, look at that. <laughs> Sounds a bit more guy. Right? Jana matana. Yeah. yeah. Jana. 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 Anytime you add na instead of ne, it sounds a little bit more masculine. More masculine? Does it change anything in the in the actual wording? No, no, actual? no. And it's not like you have to say na if you're you know male. It's not like Spanish where it ends with o versus a or things like okay. that. It's it just sounds a little bit more that way if you're like matana. You know, it's it, it it's a little rougher. Rougher. Yeah. So, so sounds, sounds more like, you know, tough guy type of... A little bit, yeah. So if a girl says to you, Johnny, like that, you just say, Jana, yeah. and give her the look, like, Jana. Jana, and yeah. then... <laughs> <laughs> I have to take notes. I have to t- that's, that's good. That's good. I mean, I'm going to use that. It's yeah, radio, so we can't, we can't do the look thing. Yeah. So As long as, as, long as I don't know, but if I go, Jana, and then people might get freaked out or... 
they, they... No, I mean, you could still say, John, eh, like that. That's yeah. totally fine. Don't think you're cute. Like, if you say, like, John, eh, like that, the girls go, ah, kawaii. Like <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this has been, hey, this has been very productive. I'm going to try a few of those things there. And mm. then... just got to okay. go upstairs to the exhibitor hall yeah. and see what we can do. Yeah, see yeah. what you yeah. walk up to some cosplayers. Cosplay cafe, <laughs> and, and, and then, yeah. And then, then we get Buddha out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> you say security in Japanese. I do. You say, please don't hit me anymore in Japanese. <laughs> I think we'd be in French for that. Please don't tase me. Yeah, don't. you don't want the girl to call you like Chikan, Chikan or Skebe. Yeah. Skebe is pervert and Chikan is like a groper. Sounds like an interesting podcast. You need a special podcast just for that story. Yeah. Just for Chikan. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Somehow, I have a feeling. Yeah, really. Huh? <laughs> Actually, that you definitely got to keep in there. <laughs> you guys should do like a little, you know, like Japanese language sort of lesson sort of podcast, you know, for all these fun words. No, it'd be interesting. I mean, one of the things that we do at, at, with DiceCast, obviously, we talk about role-playing games. And uh, um, role-playing games, I think, are a little bit popular in Japan right now, or is it just it like is. a... When I was at Gen Con a few weeks ago, um, I, I was sort of eavesdropping a little bit on a, on a conversation between one of the American game manufacturers and a Japanese one, and they were talking about bringing that game to Japan. So, uh, that was Tulevi here at Otakuthon, and that was a very interesting talking to you, and thanks. we hope that you'll have a nice stay in our fabulous uh, city. I, I know, I know I will. And uh, hope Definitely to see you. Definitely look forward to seeing you again. Yep. I'm looking forward to it as well. So, merci to everybody, and uh, arigato, and jana. Uh, jana. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DiceCast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, opinions, or recommendations, we look forward to hearing from you. You can reach us at DiceCast at polymancer.com. Also, if you're in Toronto this coming weekend... Come by the MTCC to see us at Fan Expo. Visit one of our booths or take in a demo. We hope to see you there. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment. You can find out more about who we are and what we do at our website, www.polymancer.com, as well as our main corporate website, www.polymancerstudios.com. You can also keep in touch with us by emailing us directly at dicecast at polymancerstudios.com. Follow us on Twitter at Polymancer, on Facebook at facebook.com slash polymancer, and myspace.com slash polymancer. The music for this segment, Fort Minor, Remember the Name, BYFH Remix by Chojin, Violated Instrumental by Technetium, Industrial March Beat and Triple Layer Guitar in E by Neurowax are all released under a Creative Commons license. This episode is copyright 2010 Polymancer Studios Incorporated, released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works license, the full text of which is available at creativecommons.org. This episode may be copied or redistributed so long as it is done free of charge in unmodified form and due credit is given to the copyright owner. Dicecast is a trademark of Polymancer Studios Incorporated. The word Polymancer is a registered trademark of Polymancer Studios Incorporated. Thank you for listening to the Dicecast.